0: will join me in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 this morning we will continue in our series through Paul's letter to the Romans, and we find ourselves in verses 27 through 31. If you want to use the Blue ESV Bible, you can find that on page 941. The title of our sermon this morning is Boasting Excluded, and our keywords for our worshipers in training are boasting law And faith. Well, from his laptop at his kitchen table in a quiet subdivision outside of Columbia, South Carolina, Anthony Anderson investigates a particular form of lying that's come to be known as stolen valor civilians lying about military service, or veterans embellishing their record with bogus claims of battlefield medals and, uh, and missions with elite units. And Anderson goes on, he, he goes about unmasking imposters like a, a detective might do. He digs through public records, he compiles a dossier to understand exactly who this person is and if the claims they're making happen to be true. And so he relies on this sort of loose network of self-styled investigators, most of them veterans themselves, scattered across the country using all forms of social media for communication. Well, Anderson's been doing this work on his own initiative for several years now, and not long after returning from Afghanistan in 2010, he started a Stolen Valor Facebook page, and then the Guardian of Valor website, which featured a a gallery of people who were called out and who never admitted that they were, in fact, fraudsters. And the site's traffic blew up in 2013 when Anderson helped investigate a former soldier and contestant on American Idol. Before the man's audition, you know all the stories that nobody wants to watch on American Idol that they play, he told the judges that an IED exploded in Iraq and it left him with a traumatic brain injury. Now, though the man had indeed served in Iraq, he hadn't been injured, and Anderson said, my inbox started lighting up with guys who had served with him. He wasn't who he said he was. Another man by the name of Doug Stirner, he mentored Anderson in imposter investigation, and he first discovered military fakers by accident. After launching a website, it was devoted to cataloging the recipients of, of the nation's top honor awards. Sorry, Stirner learned to say to families who would call and say, uh, with families saying that there were awards left off the list for their family members, and he would say, your dad is not actually a war hero. And he finds these cases depressing, a distraction from his work. And so Anderson reached out with questions about this several years ago, and he welcomed him and his interest in investigating the fakers. Well, for as long as soldiers have gone off to war, they've exaggerated, they've lied about it, Big ways, small ways, when George Washington established the U.S. military's first badge of honor in 1782, he knew that soldiers deserved recognition, but he also couldn't, He knew they couldn't be trusted to not embellish their exploits. And so he wrote, should any who are not entitled to these honors have the insolence to assume that badges on them that they shall be severely punished. And then in 2005, the Stolen Valor Act made it a crime to falsely claim military decorations. The Supreme Court overturned that in 2012. But in 2013, another act came that makes it illegal to benefit financially from such lies. But increasingly, public shaming picks up where all of that leaves off. what is this all about? Why would anybody have the impulse to lie about such a thing? Well, we all like to be honored. We all like to be recognized. We all like people to notice us. And if we can, if we can get them to notice us for some wonderful act of valor or some great heroic accomplishment… If we can get people to think of us as as better or stronger or faster or more accomplished humans than others, all the better. We like to boast, and unfortunately, that boasting is so often in things that we had nothing to do with or that we were never part of in the first place. We want the world to take notice. Look at me. I did something. We want credit. We want to be acknowledged. And, and in our flesh, we are willing to get that credit and to be acknowledged even if it isn't for something that we actually did. Whether it's stolen valor or stealing another person's identity or idea or passing these things off as your own or cheating in a game or pretend, pretending to be someone else altogether, we like to boast and we like to be recognized. And as we get into our text this morning, we see that the Apostle Paul is confronting this inclination of our heart. We spent the last three weeks looking at verses 21 through 26 to see that despite our sinfulness, despite our self-righteousness, despite our self-willed, self-focused attempts at proving ourselves to be worthy of justification, we have fallen far short of the glory of God. And yet… God still puts forward His one and only Son to fulfill the demands of the law perfectly, to be offered up as a propitiatory sacrifice on our behalf. His blood shed to cover our sins that by faith alone we might embrace Christ alone, all by God's grace alone that we might be redeemed and justified to the glory of God alone. It's the very heart of the gospel. It's the very truth what God has done to rescue sinners like us. God saves us from His wrath by pouring out His wrath on the sacrifice that He offered up in His only Son. There's no greater love than this, brothers and sisters, that God appeased His own anger by crushing His own Son for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so then… Paul wants to really push this home a bit, and he he moves on to talk about this issue of boasting. If all of this is the case, if all of this is the work of God, and not only the work of God, but the work of God toward those who were his sworn enemies, his adversaries, rebels who live in complete defiance to Him, even though He creates us and sustains us and gives us all that we have and need for this life. This is all God's work in spite of those realities that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. So if this is the case, how is it that we can take any credit? How can we steal God's valor How could we have an ounce of boasting in us, thinking and proclaiming that we actually did something? And so what we see in our text this morning is that Paul frames his argument around four important questions that we're going to look at. So let's read together, beginning in verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, I know you're all very keen listeners, and you just heard me say there are four main questions in our text, but as you were reading, you counted five question marks with that passage. But I also know that you're very clued in with your interpretive skills and realize, yes, even though there are five question marks, there really are only four questions, because two of those are just part of the same question. You are very sharp readers. Well done. Good job. So, four questions. Here they are as we think through them, and each of our points this morning will be focused on each of those questions. And I want you to notice that what Paul gives us in these questions are very short answers to each of them. And it's interesting because as students of the writings of the Apostle Paul, you recognize that Paul never gives short answers to anything. But fear not, this isn't all he has to say. As we move into chapter 4, you will realize that Paul is going to loop back into these questions again and give a more robust response to each of them. He will show us, as we get into chapter 4, from the life of Abraham that the gospel of Jesus Christ that he is preaching is absolutely consistent with the spiritual existence of Abraham, the father of the Jews. Now, Apart from the fact that we cannot deny that Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have to remember that God used men and their skills and their abilities and their voices and their styles to write the texts of Scripture. It wasn't dictated to them. So when you recognize that, you see Paul's literary and rhetorical genius really rise to the top when we get into chapter 4, especially as we, it seems as though the Jewish people are who he has in mind as he writes, and we saw that even back in chapter 2. So I want to show you this briefly before we get to the questions. Notice the first question, he says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. And then in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, what does Paul do there? He addresses what it is that Abraham had to boast in. And then the second question, by what kind of law is boasting excluded by a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. And in verses 3 through 8 in chapter 4, we get a lengthier answer to that question. And, and we could go through each of these, and you get the point that we will see this more clearly when we get there. But, but more important than seeing those connections is seeing what Paul is setting out to accomplish, namely to reveal the beautiful harmony, harmony that exists between the promises of the gospel and the giving of the law of God. So, let's consider each question. The first question we have to answer in verse 27, in light of the gospel, what becomes of our boasting? Now, in many ways, this seems like a little bit of a pedestrian question, doesn't it? Rhetorical at best. So, why does Paul see a need to even go here? To bring this up, It's such an obvious answer to us, isn't it? Well, Paul, although an extraordinary man, he was indeed a man. Like you and I, he struggled with certain desires, temptations, and sins, and Paul knew very well that one of his particular temptations was toward boasting in his own life. And he knew very well that that would be our struggle as well. How do we know that this was something that Paul himself was particularly guarded against in his life because it was a specific sin to which he was tempted? Well, because he tells us before he was a Christian, he boasted in what? He boasted in his pedigree as a Jew. He thought of himself as a Jew amongst Jews, a Hebrew amongst Hebrews, He thought there were many things that he had to boast in in his life. And and Paul writes about this on numerous occasions, which tells us that there were many things that he had to boast about. And it was more on his mind because he knew how susceptible he was to this particular sin. He knew how susceptible the Jews were to this particular sin. He knew how susceptible we are to this particular sin. In fact, that was a large part of the thrust of chapter 2. So all of this comes to a head here, and Paul says, listen, if the gospel is what it is, as I've said it is, and you are who you are, as I've laid out over several chapters now, then what in the world do you have to boast in? What could you possibly boast in? You didn't do anything. God did it all. Jesus did it all. So what do you have to boast in? Remember, Paul is the guy who wrote, by God's grace, I am able to say that my boast is in nothing except the cross of Jesus Christ. That was Paul's prayer. That was his desire. That was his hope that he was known as a man like that. He's not he's not presenting a false humility here. He's saying, I don't want to steal away from God the credit that belongs only to Him. To Him and to Him alone be the glory. And think of all of the ways that this applies in our own lives, all the ways that boasting presents itself in our lives. Can you you imagine being a person who goes on national television and boasts about your military service and how you suffered an injury and basically present yourself as an American hero only to be called out and exposed publicly in your lie? What a brazen, bold thing to do for all the world to see and to hear. And yet you and I hear that story and what do we think? I'm really glad I'm not that guy. What an idiot! I can't believe he would do that. I would never do anything like that." Really? Never anything like that at all? You've never sought to embellish your story to make yourself look a little bit better? You've never upheld your credentials a little bit to give a little flex to your, to your credibility? So you see, we can judge someone for boasting, but what are we doing as we do so? We're boasting in not being boastful like that guy over there. So you see, this is not just a Jew-Gentile kind of thing for Paul. This is a part of our human instinct, our human nature. And Paul is bringing it all into our view and saying to us, You may not be a blatant boaster on national television, you may not lie in such a way that all of the world can hear and it be exposed, but there may be a subtle boasting in your life, a subtle way of promoting yourself and propping yourself up that will reveal that the gospel has not yet come home to you entirely, bringing you to the absolute end of yourself so that you can see just how dependent upon God you truly are and you will have nothing more to say than my Lord and my God. I have nothing more to boast in than Christ and Him crucified. So, the first imperative of the text is quite simple, but it's monumentally important. Do not boast. Be humble. Why would you say anything or, or do anything, particularly as it pertains to your salvation, that would suggest that you were somehow superior to anyone else on this earth? But we do, in fact. We do that, and, and we think that. And it's exactly why we need the gospel. You can even notice in Paul's writings how, how this settled into him more and more and more as he lived his life as an apostle, as he preached the gospel he started early in His work as an apostle, in His letters. Remember, He described Himself as the chief apostle. But by the, by the end of His final letter, He described Himself as the chief of sinners. What a wonderful work God does to continue to help us see less of ourselves and more of Him. And this works for those who are proud, those who boast in everything all of the time, loudly and excitedly and without reservation, but it also works for those who are self-loathing and riddled with feelings of inferiority. You know, something I tell Christians a lot of times who, who struggle with assurance or who express those constant feelings of inferiority, or who refuse to take the Lord's Supper because they suppose their guilt is too great, or who are always concerned about what others think about them because they think that their guilt is too much. They're such a terrible person to look to. Those Christians who are sort of dragging around depressed all the time, like Eeyore. What is me. I'm a terrible, awful sinner. I'm a worm. I can do nothing right. Why did the Lord save me? Maybe He hasn't. Do you know what that is? All of that is just another form of pride. In fact, it's far more pernicious because it seems very humble, doesn't it? It all seems very humble. It is supposed to come across as humble when, in fact, it reveals pride. It's it's either a desire for someone to come to us and to tell us otherwise, or for us to be able to claim that we are worse sinners than anyone else, so while, while God can save them, surely He cannot save me, or if He does, He's always forlorn. He's always disappointed with me. So while God can be pleased with you, there's no way He would ever delight in me. Woe is me. You see what that is? That's boasting of a different kind. A sort of humble brag about your badness. And how, if bad is here, then you're up here. (laughs) How patient and wonderful is our God. How marvelous is the message of the gospel that the mere thought of who God is and what God has done in Jesus Christ will bring to the surface all of these different ways in which we sin. The Lord kindly and graciously shows us that true humility is simply this. In light of the gospel, I have nothing but Christ to boast in. Not my goodness, not my badness, not my deeds, not my laziness, not my feelings of guilt, not my ethnicity, not my fame, not my wealth, not my religious deeds. Christ and Him alone. All other boasting is excluded. And so then Paul goes on with his next question. See in verses 27 and 28, what kind of law excludes our boasting? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law what is Paul doing here? There's a few ways this gets translated. One is, by what principle does the law exclude our boasting? Now, notice that Paul is presenting a distinction to be made. There's a principle here, a distinction between faith and law. Is boasting excluded on the basis of works? Is it a law of works? Is it, if you'd like, the fulfillment of a covenant of works that excludes boasting? In other words, can I fulfill the covenant? Can I work my way into obedience to God's law, and if I try hard enough and I do enough good works, is boasting excluded on that principle? Well, actually, yes, boasting is excluded on that principle. If, if you try to work your way into God's favor through works, yes, boasting is excluded because you won't actually accomplish anything, so you will have nothing to boast in. But that's obviously not the whole answer that Paul is getting at here, is it? Notice the, the sort of implied question behind this that the questioner might be asking of what Paul has said. They may be saying, you know what, Paul, you've been trying to tell us that if we lived based on a covenant of works, we'll never be able to justify ourselves and and our, our boasting will be silenced because we will fail. Is that not the right answer? But Paul says, well, not quite. The answer actually is that your boasting is excluded by the law of faith. Now, that's interesting, but why? Because the very nature of faith, you see, we looked at this several weeks ago, the very nature of faith is us coming before our God and saying, empty-handed, only in need, nothing to give, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. So I suppose we could say that theoretically, Paul does that a lot in Romans, theoretically we could say That the principle of works leaves room for boasting, sure, however, you will never get there because you cannot fulfill the works of the law. So in the end, you will actually have nothing to boast in. But what about faith then? Well, faith actually leaves no room whatsoever for boasting because faith by its very nature is not about me at all, right? Faith in Christ is about Christ and who Christ is and what Christ has done. Faith is believing that Jesus Christ came into this world, lived a perfect life to fulfill the law of God, went to the cross to receive the wrath of God on that cross, on our behalf. He died, was buried for three days, and rose again from the grave, conquering sin and death. And faith is us trusting that that is true, and all of that is true for us. There's nothing for me to boast in. I didn't do anything, and in fact, that very trusting in that is not from me either. That too is a gift from God. So even my faith, even my trust is from God. I have nothing nothing at all to even look to to think to boast in so you see in christ we don't we don't need to boast in our pride or pound our chest because we are children of the most high king in christ we also don't need to drag ourselves around depressed woe is me always sinning i have a savior who lived and died for me that's what we need to think that I might stand upright in victory because He has paid the penalty for my sins. So although today may be a rough day, my sins have been paid for. I have been redeemed from the slavery of sin. I have been justified in the courtroom of heaven, and I am free, and in Christ we are free indeed. Faith is realizing that we contribute absolutely nothing to our salvation, and that is an amazing reality. So what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what principle is it excluded? It is excluded by the very principle of faith. The moment I begin to boast in anything but Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done, that is the moment that my faith is diminished and I'm no longer looking to Jesus but looking in the mirror. You know, one of the things that always especially stands out to me when I travel to large cities is just how many people are struggling for significance in their lives. Everything they do is an attempt to be noticed to be praised, to be discovered, to be loved, to be adored, to be seen as important and powerful and influential and successful. It's everywhere, and it seeps into everything, every conversation, every relationship, every action, every place a person goes, the clothes they wear, the drinks they drink. It all matters in that environment, and it all matters very much. And and all of us are prone to that, obviously, in, in various ways, but in that environment, It's all the more pronounced because that's so often where people go for that very thing, to the big city. But you know, all the significance you'll ever need in this world, in the world to come, is found not ultimately in what you do and how you do it and what you get paid for. That's all going to burn up one day. All the significance you will need is Jesus Christ alone. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying it's a bad thing or a wrong thing to work hard, to be noticed, to be recognized for what you do and how you do it and all of those things and on and on. I wish more Christians were recognized for the amazing contributions they've made to this world, not for the sake of boasting, but to highlight the wonderful work of God in His people who work onto Him and not onto man. It's truly a wonderful thing that as as Christians, we can be wonderfully successful and even be acknowledged and rewarded for that success and yet live our lives in such a way that our boasting is still in Christ. That's the call. It's not not a call to, to lay it all aside and have nothing to do with the things of this earth that God has given us. No, He's given them to us. We should embrace them and utilize them for the purposes they are intended, not to boast in but to make much of Him through them, looking beyond the gift to the giver of that gift that we would worship Him rightly and point others to faith in Christ as well. That's what faith looks like in action for the Christian. No matter our circumstances, that we can turn all of our boasting to the cross of Christ alone. So, then Paul turns to a third question in verses 29 and 30. Is God only the Jewish God? Notice he says or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Now, at this point, perhaps we could even imagine Paul sort of rolling his eyes at the question, is God the God of the Jews only? Of course not. What a ridiculous thing to even assume. Now remember what I said, chapter 3 here is the short answers, but we'll get to the long answers in in chapter 4. And on this issue particularly, he dedicates significant time in chapter 4. But briefly, let's think about this. Notice how Paul answers the question. Yes, he is the God of the Gentiles as well, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. What exactly does that mean? Well, think about Abraham. When was Abraham justified? Was it after he was circumcised? Was it even because he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Well, I know you know your Bibles… You want me to get to the point? You're already thinking. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was before he was circumcised. And think about this. When Abraham was justified, how many Jews were there? How many Jews were around when Abraham was justified? Here's your hint. Abraham is the earthly father of Judaism. So how many Jews were there? none at all. There were no Jews. There were a bunch of pagan people living completely pagan lives. So it's like he's turning the question on the questioner and saying, do you realize how silly that question even is? Remember Abraham? He was justified before we ever made a distinction between Jews and Gentiles to speak of. So now you tell me, is God just the God of the Jews? notice how he frames it. It's a little confusing how it's written. Paul is taking circumcision as an example, as a work of law. And he says here in verse 30, those who do this work of circumcision. Well, who does the work of circumcision? The Jews. They are justified by faith, not by this work that they have done. That's what he's saying. Their justification is by faith, not by circumcision. Then he goes on and writes that those who do not do this work of circumcision, who's that? That's the Gentiles. They are justified by faith apart from not having done this work. So what then? Verse 29, he's not the God of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. Therefore, verse 28, a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So you can work backwards. And so as we think of these things all together, let's be reminded If we try to do anything at all other than trust in God's grace to be right with God, we are doing a work of the law, and we are still in the grips of pride. God is a God who calls us to come to Christ by faith alone. That excludes all of our boasting. Well, lastly, Paul goes on to our final question, verse 31. Does faith overthrow the law? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Why would the Jews have ever thought to ask this question? Well, because they fundamentally misunderstood the Old Testament. And and I dare say many Christians today might be asking the same question because they fundamentally misunderstand the Old Testament. The assumption is that what Paul is doing is trying to make null and void the teachings of Moses, but that's not the case at all. In in fact, Paul says, by no means, in fact, we uphold the law. Well, now the Jews are very confused, right? How is this possible? What is the Old Testament? Well, it's many things. But one of the most important things is that it is filled with pictures and signposts and shadows and types and models of what is yet to come in the future. It wasn't a different way of salvation. No, to the contrary, it's pointing the way forward to that which was yet to come in Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament believers were looking forward to a great sacrifice that was yet to come. They knew there would be a day when the daily sacrifices weren't necessary, when the annual Day of Atonement wasn't necessary because they knew that those things were just types and shadows of that which was yet to come, even though they didn't necessarily have a clear understanding of what it was that was coming, although I think they probably knew a bit more than we assume. So, Paul is writing here, no, we don't, we don't destroy the law at all. The gospel of Jesus Christ is exactly what the law was pointing to from the very beginning. Now as we get further into Romans, Paul will address this again as well, and it's a very important point, and he's going to highlight that Christians think very differently about the law than non-Christians. Christians realize that the law that recently crushed you to death is the same law that you now delight to obey in the power of the Spirit in the Lord Jesus Christ. So faith in Christ doesn't nullify the law. No, faith in Christ means that we now have a desire that we never had before to uphold the law, not for our salvation, but so that we can walk rightly with our God. To live our lives with our eyes on the law, with a true longing to honor God by honoring His law. So, think of those wonderful words, words we often sing. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Brothers and sisters, do you truly believe that? When you do, your pride, your boasting, it all begins to disintegrate. And when that happens, something else very amazing happens. All the ways we've tried to hide All the ways we've tried to present ourselves as someone other than what we are, they all start to dissolve away as well, and we live real lives as real people in the light of day. Do you know this, Christ? Has your boasting and pride been stripped away? Do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith? If not, He's calling on you today. Come to me. You rest in me. Boast in me alone. Well, thanks be to God for His Word and every opportunity we have to turn to the Scriptures, to be reminded of the great gift that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we boast alone.